0: Welcome to FIC Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income credit currency and commodities strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence FIC Research
1: Team. Welcome to the MacroMatters podcast, part of the FIC Focus podcast series from Bloomberg Intelligence. I'm Ira Jersey, the Chief U.S. Interest Rate Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence. Today, my guest comes from across the pond. He is Hugh Worthington, our Chief European Rate Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence. Hugh, thanks very much for coming back on MacroMatters.
0: Oh, well, thanks very much for having me, Ira.
1: So we just got some information out of the UK this morning as we record here on the 22nd day of November about the budget. Uh, What are your initial thoughts and uh, how do you think it's going to affect uh, the overall overall bond market right now?
0: Yeah, I'm not sure it's going to affect the overall bond market too much in the short term. Uh, I think one of the interesting things that came out of it is that they basically the the Chancellor Jeremy Hunt has had some headroom being given to him by the fact that the, the borrowing forecasts have have actually come in in reality a lot lower than than people were expecting, and he had something like at least twenty billion pounds, probably of headroom to cut gilt issuance uh, for this fiscal year twenty three twenty four. Now he's chosen not to do that, and in fact he's gone for a for a little bit of of a, of a spending spree. He's got he's decided to go out and and offer us some tax cuts, use up that that headroom, and and also about a another 40, well, 40 billion euros of issuance, actually more over the next four uh, fiscal years. So he's basically offering a, a, a tax, effectively it's an income tax cut, it's called national insurance of of, 2%, of uh, two percentage points. That kicks in on, on January the 6th. And I think it's very much um, a giveaway probably to the fact that the, the Tories, the leading Tory party, the governing Tory party, is languishing in the polls behind Labour by sort of 20 to 25 points, at least at the moment. And they're hoping, I think, probably for a poll bounce um, on the back of that, on the back of some sort of better feel good. And, and the idea that the, you know, the Tory party is supposed to be a tax cutting and a low tax party. So they're going to be pushing that agenda, I think, pretty hard um, over the next few months. But the fact that it kicks in on ja- in, in January, I think probably fairly increases the risk that the a general election in the UK, which has to happen pretty much within the next 12 months, it has to happen what be called by December 2024. I think it brings risks that, that that could come forward a bit. And I think that we are probably now looking at a spring general election in the UK, probably um, May is quite a it's quite a favourite time uh, to go for a general election when 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 Times are good, so I think you know if they get a bounce in the polls, I think that's that's what we could be seeing in the UK. So it could be getting a bit more volatility there. Um, but again, it's uh, you know there's the still an awful. The one thing about the bond markets, obviously, is there's still an awful lot of bonds to sell, and there's going to be people, you know, just as they are everywhere actually. And it's, it's not just the case in the UK; it's the case obviously in America, but also in Europe as well. Who's going to buy all those bonds? And every now and again, we are going to get probably wobbles as to you know worries about who is going to buy all those bonds going forward.
1: So one of the things that obviously in a good times when you create fiscal stimulus, as you saw here in the United States, is that it creates issues for central banks. So does this additional supply in uh, in the UK and, and the tax cuts um, and which presumably will be somewhat stimulative for the economy, will, will that just keep the Bank of England maybe a little bit tighter than, uh, than the markets thinking and, and certainly than uh, some other people think? I know your base case was that they might uh, Bank of England might be the first to actually cut interest rates, given that they were uh, early in, in the cycle to, to go the other direction as well. Uh, but does this stimulus change any of that kind of outlook?
0: Um, I, I suspect probably not, because I think what the Bank of England may well look, look at things, they're probably the Bank of England will look at Jeremy Hunt's growth forecast today. And I think he's going for growth of, well, it's about 0.7% in 2024. And that's down from 1.8% previously, a lot lower, um, and about 1.4% in 2025. But the Bank of England's forecasts are, are way below those. So they are more, um, certainly more negative on the economy to start with. So, uh, yes, and I, I and I think the Bank of England did signal to us pretty clearly that um, rate cuts were on the, the horizon back at their last meeting. And I'm not sure there's gonna be an awful lot in this to change that view that very interesting at that, at that last meeting. Governor Bailey basically showed us two charts um, that what would happen to inflation on a on a two year basis, when if, if interest rates followed the market expectation, the market path of, uh, of, of expectations over the next two years, and that showed um, inflation hitting his 2% target. But he also had a chart showing what would happen if he kept rates at 5.25% for the next two years, and that basically showed inflation going, well, I think deflation became a concern rather than inflation. So he definitely sort of flagged up that there's going to be um, a rate cuts going on. I don't think there's a massive amount in what Jeremy Hunt said today that's, that's going to probably Change that that view, quite honestly, and the market certainly. You know, it's it's had a look at what's seen today, and it hasn't really moved much at all. Um, rate, rate cut expectations are pretty much um, where they were before for a, for a first cut in 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 and around sort of June or July of, of next year. Um, but I think you know, equally, there's a there's a decent chance that um, you know, they they could come a bit uh, a bit sooner than that because, as I say, the Bank of England in particular is a lot more gloomy on the economy than uh, than the Chancellor is
1: so let, let's talk about something that you mentioned before and we, we just have a conversation here among uh, uh, two strategists <laughs> um, what, one of the big worries about some, by a lot of market participants is who's going to be the buyer of this additional supply whether it's uh, in the US or Germany or you know even at, at some point Japan particularly with Japan with the Bank of Japan um, maybe not creating um, a whole lot of new bonds but with the, the Bank of Japan potentially ending yield curve control um, someone else is going to have to come in and, and be the buyer without the, without the buyer of last resort potentially being there. So, so, uh, you know, it seems to me that, that supply and demand dynamics in, in bond markets and particularly government bond markets always seem to be uh, Counter cyclical, right? So if we have a slowdown in the economies uh, in in most of the developed world, you see a slowdown in inflation. Then presumably demand will increase from just about every sector for for, for government debt away from uh, say corporate debt or or um, other alternative assets. Um, I, I guess the you know the the fear is is that is that that demand won't pick up as much as it has in the past because of the the stock of debt outstanding. How worried are you about that and do you think that there could be significant shifts in valuation because of the um, uh, because of all of this supply? You know, particularly, I, I guess, not only in England but also in uh, or the UK, I should say, uh, and and in the rest of uh, Europe more broadly in the eurozone.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is a concern. One of the one of the main concerns probably is is, is that, uh, as you say, one of the main sources of demand that people are probably relying on everywhere um, is this whole idea of foreigners and sort of the, the global savings glut that we've been relying on, probably getting on for the last 20 years now, um, you know, we'll kick in again and that uh, the, the demand will be there for those bonds. Now, um, I think there is, there is there are signs, however, that in, in certainly in Europe and to, to the UK as well, that actually that foreign demand is, you know, does appear still to be there. Um, and obviously, you know, you've got a lot less supply coming from people like the corporate world and everything else, but you've already mentioned, like you've already mentioned. Um, but one area which definitely seems to be providing some decent demand, and I think you know, the, the chancellor is actually going to tap into this as well in the UK. Is is the retail side of things, and you can see that um, you know in, in, in Europe in particular, and in the eurozone, um, if you actually look at sort of retail targeted um, issuance in two thousand and twenty three, you know you, you're talking about uh, with different sort of sources, you know over two hundred billion of net demand coming from that. I mean, Belgium issued a uh, a bond in a one year bond, for, targeted at retail in September, raising twenty two. Billion euros. Italy's been been very actively tapping its accessing its retail market. Its retail um, uh, holders have been increased from about over about eighteen months from one hundred and forty five to well over three hundred billion euros in Italy. Spain's been uh, asset managers are clearly sort of mopping up retail demand there. So you know there there is uh, there is other uh, other areas which are are going to probably provide uh, demand. So I'm not. Overly concerned that it's it's not going to be doable, but I'm not saying that the market isn't going to have periods of time where we do have a bit of angst and we do have a bit of worries as to as as, as to uh, you know how easy it, it will be to, com- to to complete some of this funding, and obviously you've got QT you know making it uh, more difficult as well. Um, it's very interesting as well. You know, you look at the the UK. I mean, we're talking about you know half a half a trillion of, of net supply on on what's been announced today well, QT from the Bank of England probably, you know, adds to that sort of number as well. Um, and in Europe, it's it's similar. So it's, it's actually not quite as bad numbers in Europe because they're not doing, Q, not doing active QT. Um, but at the moment, they're only rolling regular QT. The pandemic stuff, the pandemic bonds that they bought in the pandemic aren't being rolled at the moment. And there is going to be a lot of, I think, you know, quite a few people at the ECB looking at how that issuance gets taken down probably early in the new year and wanting to add, uh, to some, you know get their, reduce their balance sheet there and add pandemic QT to the mix as well. So, you know, we are going to get probably wobbles um, as as to how you know confident markets are. This is going to be you know easily digested by the market in Europe. It may well exhibit itself more in spreads rather than outright bond yields. But um, you know, I, th- I think it's sort of inevitably likely to happen. And, and you know, I'm not, I'm not quite sure if you see the same in uh, in the US as well, IRA. But um, you know, I don't think any of us is going to be immune.
1: Yeah. So, you know, in the U.S., I think it's, it is it is a matter of uh, does the QT end and what does that look like? Um, you know, interestingly, this year we had a $1.7 trillion budget deficit, more or less, um, for for the, the current year. And then, of course, $700 billion of runoff of the Fed's balance sheet, and, and that all added to supply. So um, so you wound up having more Treasury issuance than you did a budget deficit because of the, the Federal Reserve's actions um, and, and the fact that the Fed wasn't reinvesting. I think it, it will be interesting on the U.S. side is is how long can QT continue? You know, even yesterday in the minutes of the uh, of the November FOMC meeting, the, uh, the the members of the Fed were saying that they thought that runoff could continue even as the Federal Reserve was cutting interest rates. Now, I think that's possible, but there's a timing issue there, and and part of the timing issue is. How low can bank reserves realistically get with uh, all of the regulatory environment requiring them basically to hold massive amounts of reserves? So, um, and, and, and you know, most people on the street, and I concur with this, it says it's around $2.5 trillion of reserves, and we're only at around $3 trillion now. So if those reserve balances go down, another $500 billion for any variety of reasons, and include, including quantitative tightening, um then uh, th- then I think the Fed will ultimately stop. I mean, I, I don't see what the point is for central banks to do things like adding liquidity via say repos or in the US it's the standing repo facility that was also mentioned in those minutes uh, and and at the same time running off the assets because you're just you're basically just saying, okay, we're gonna we're gonna run off a treasury security and instead we're gonna give you a reserve via a repo instead, so you're going to give us a bond and we're going to give you cash. It, it, it kind of doesn't make sense, right? If the Fed's balance sheet is remaining stable because you're at this lower, lowest comfortable uh, level of reserves, I don't see any reason whatsoever that um, that the Fed should continue runoff. So, so I think by the middle of next year, the Fed's runoff is going to stop. Um, but until then you know they will be continuing to add to supply uh, at least incrementally to the tune of around 60 billion dollars a month um, and you know that's that's something that that just is additive to the um, you know hundred 120 150 billion dollar a month on average uh, uh Deficit. So, so let's talk a little bit, Hugh, about about valuation, right? So, uh, you know, obviously, we talked about a little bit about supply. Who, who might be the demand factors, right? So, the households. You've seen that in the U.S. as well, right? With interest rates as you know going up to levels that they haven't been for a long time, and the frictions for actually buying government debt are much lower. The fact that you can go onto a website like Treasury Direct in the U.S. and just go out and participate at auctions has made things quite easy. you know is, is there a valuation that you think uh, people won't demand bonds right I guess that's the question like it seems like demand from uh, most sectors right now at with you know four handle yields at the US and the UK and and uh, I guess it remind me it's like three-ish percent uh, handles in in uh, uh, in, in Germany and, and most of core Europe um, you, you know if, if rates were to rally how far uh, would you think that that demand slows down and we find a, a new equilibrium in a, in a slower growth environment
0: yeah I mean um, the, the the thing is demand has been um, very strong for, for some time now in 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 Europe and you know, those the yields that they were offering are actually sort of you know quite a bit below where we are now um, what is interesting, as well, of course, is that is that the the really ultra low yields that we saw, you know, during when when QE was in town, that actually did see retail investors um, leave the arena. Now that, so if, if you're going to pick a, a level where, you know, for example, in, in Italy, you know, when 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 it, when Italy started to drop below sort of the, the two two and a half percent mark, the retail investors weren't interested at all. They 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 took money out and I imagine looked for better yields elsewhere. But I think we're probably some way. Um, above where where retail investors really start to to, to get cold feet, and, and like I say, the, the demand that we've been seeing everywhere, certainly at recent uh, recent um, yield levels, you know, has been really excellent. That that Belgian bond, I think, cleared a one-year bond. It cleared at about three percent, and there was twenty-two billion um, of, of demand, in raised in absolutely no time at all. But like I say, you know, if if the ECB were to suddenly get cutting aggressively, and we saw, you know. <laughs> But uh, you know rates a great deal lower. Then obviously, then then I think that would affect demand. But I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm looking at where the markets pricing the ECB likely to be really over actually the next four or five years. Um, it's at the sort of levels that um, that the re- retail investors you know find attractive. Now the one thing that's going on in Europe as well. One of the reasons I think why retail investors are are, are flocking to their governments and and, flo- and and the retail offerings that they've got is that it's a lot better than what's offer, on offer in, in the banks. The bank bank deposit rates, in particular, have have lagged are nothing like um, where what you see uh, the ECB policy rates being. So, but that that's a con- that's possibly a matter for concern in and of itself because obviously this is just cannibalising customer deposits as well. So, as I say, you're looking at uh, in Italy talking about. Um, the, the retail issuance there, well, roughly speaking, custom deposits in Italy this year have fallen by 100 billion as well from the banks. Now, so that has that has issues for the banks as well. Obviously, that's a cheap form of funding, that's usually a stable form of funding. Um, does that mean that they have to possibly reduce their holdings of, 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 of BTPs themselves? Well, you know, they have been selling, they have been sort of, you know, banks have been reducing, but. You know, I'm not. I'm not sure. It's you've, it's it's almost a bit of a tightrope you've got to walk here. You know, it's already well raiding, um, you know, bank deposits for for the government coffers, but you don't really want to go and create a problem in the, in your banking sector, um, you know, just to try and fund yourself either. So I think you know, everybody's got to just be, be careful as to how quite how much they raise in this uh, in, in that market.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point, and that's something that. Is uh, has obviously happened in the U.S. and, in fact, uh, you know, we had two pretty big banks fail earlier in the year, in large part because of that. Um, you, you have started to see in the U.S. at least some banks start to increase their deposit rates. Uh, you know, anecdotally, my bank actually said uh, said that they were going to increase my deposit rate from uh, from basically zero, like four basis points, up to four and a half percent. You know, all of a sudden, and uh, you know, meanwhile. Um, the uh, you know money market mutual funds still even yield much more than that, right? But but certainly if uh, if banks had you know increased their deposit rates somewhat more than or faster than the, than they had early on, they might have lost somewhat less deposits. You know even if they uh, still had deposit rates lower than uh, government uh, government bond yields. And and to your point, um, you're talking maybe a little bit about crowding out of deposits when you look at what. Um, how the U.S. federal government is funding itself. It it has been funding itself much more with T-bills than increases in in longer-term debt, and and partially because of how quickly they had to raise debt. But secondly, it's not unusual for the Treasury Department to issue a lot of short-term debt when interest rates are relatively high and then term that debt out when interest rates are relatively low. You know, the governments trade a little bit too, um, some people were were suggesting that maybe this is like some form of yield curve control that the U.S. Treasury Department was attempting. Um, I don't take it that way at all, and because when you go back and you look at every single time the Fed's hiked interest rates uh, over the last forty years, um, the government has increased the amount of T-bills that it's issued versus uh, versus uh, longer-term debt. So, um, so, so that type of rotation is not unusual, uh, but I think does does suggest that maybe you know yields won't. Won't rally as much in in the long end because the, that long end supply will eventually be increased even further than it has been already because of uh, the, the need to term out some of that short term paper. Um, I suspect that 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 is very likely during the uh, um, the next downturn. So so Hugh, what do you think is one of the maybe biggest mispricings in the market right now. And and while you think about that, I'm going to say that in the U.S., I think it's the, the fact that we're pricing for cuts in the middle of 2024 for the Fed. Um, I suspect that the Fed is going to be very reluctant to cut interest rates um, unless the unemployment rate really spikes significantly higher than it has and you get inflation back down um, you know under two and a half percent on both the headline and core PCE uh, deflator mainly because the Fed doesn't want to make the mistake that they made in the 1970s or perceived that they made in the 1970s uh, number one and number two um, I do think that they're in inflation fighting mode and and it will take members of the Fed even though there will be more dovish members in 2024 than there were on the on the committee this year um, just two two changes not not massive and um, that the, the, the Fed is, is you know, much more likely to remain on hold and wait to cut interest rates more aggressively when it needs to, as opposed to trying to incrementally cut just a little bit here and there. Um, you know, so, so I think the, the big thing that's being mispriced really is that very front end, call it the white pack. So for futures, for example, uh, you know, might be a little bit too high right now. And then you, you, know, you look at 10 year bond yields and they might be you know, closer to fair value than most people. Uh, m- might think in the market, so so Hugh, uh, how about in, in your markets, in either in either uh, in the, the gilt market or somewhere in continental Europe, what, what seems to be the most mispriced right now?
0: Yeah, so I think gilts probably aren't aren't, uh, aren't too too badly off where we are now, but I think I, I, I probably echo what you're saying um, about the US uh, in Europe because you know we've actually got chances about you know reasonable chances of rates being being cut in at the ECB. You know, by as early as April uh, of next year. And, and that, that's despite the fact that a lot of ECB speakers have lent against that very heavily indeed. And it's been going on for some time now. We've had the heavy hitters of that. And in particular, Isabel Schnabel um, has made several speeches. And we've, we've seen, even in the, in the minutes of the ECB meetings, that not, you mustn't expect you know, in straits to be, to be cut soon. But we've also had loads, a plethora of policy papers out of the ECB Showing that they are doing their utmost to try and sort of find every single reason that they, that, that they shouldn't be cutting rates um, as early as the market expects, um, including speakers. Now that started even with you know back in the summer after the, the, the ECB meeting in July. Um, we also then they, they followed that up with with policy papers, basically saying initially, well we've been looking at the um, curve inversions and we think curve inversions. Uh, you know, don't, don't uh, the the, the predictive ability of a recession from the cur- the current curve inversion sh- you know, shouldn't be implied this time round. Looking at money supply and how money supply and inflation is closely affected, and why it doesn't why it's different this time round. Um, the economic bulletin last week, even from the from the ECB, had a very large uh, policy paper about why they actually think looking at the curve inversion you've got currently, normally that would imply a 50% risk of recession in the Eurozone in 2024. But they think because of various tweaks and various issues in particular, with regard to the amount of, of, uh, of QE holdings there are in bonds, it's reduced the predictive ability of the curves to, to predict recessions. And actually, res- the, the, the correct chance should be around the 15% mark. And then finally, Isabel Schnabel came out with a, with a speech herself. I think it was the week before last, and it was called the last mile. And it was that how the last mile in a running race is that is the to used the word mile not kilometer, but there we go. Um, but it being the, the most important in the race and how you've got to, you know, stick to your task, and you've got to, you know, you've got to run right to the finishing post. So I think they've been trying to tell us very clearly that the ECB is not going to be cutting rates that they're, they are desperate to burnish their inflation credentials as, as strongly as anywhere else in the world. And that. They they will not be cutting. They do not. They do not want to cut rates um, on on that path that the, the market currently has. The same with chances of, a, of an April cut being priced in, and that was actually sort of made even worse this week. these some of the ECB commentators were saying, well, actually, with the re- recent moves in the market, you've removed some of our monetary tightening, and therefore we should go and hike rates now and and, and you know do, put another hike in. Now I don't believe for one second that they're going to put another another hike in into the market, and the market isn't pricing it either. But the one thing it may well do, um, it may well support the drumbeat that we keep getting about adding pandemic QT to the mix. So we may well, that means that rather than, you know, wait until to see how the supply gets taken, then supply typically in Europe is very, very heavy in the first few months of the year, first three months of the year. And I was thinking, well, if they are going to add pandemic QT to to the mix, maybe it'll be a thing for early in the second quarter, just to, to see how the market takes down the supply and whether it's you know, relaxed and calm. But it may well be that, that, the, that the demands to add pandemic QT much more quickly um, you know, increase because of what they perceive as being the market removing an element of the monetary tightening that the ECB had previously put in place. So I think that's, that's possibly what I would uh, uh, you know, like to highlight uh, uh, yeah, in, in Europe at the moment.
1: So both of us, with uh, the front end, is uh, too optimistic on rate cuts. That <laughs> seems to be the consensus among the two of us. Yeah, uh, probably. That's, up, that's great.
0: Uh, with maybe with maybe the Bank of England, uh, you know, you know, being being the first to uh, capitulate.
1: <laughs> Hopefully we will see that uh, given that that's your call. Hugh, thank you very much for coming back on the Fic Focus podcast. Uh we'll uh, make sure that you go onto the terminal and follow Hugh and myself. You can subscribe to our research uh on your terminal and uh we all we have all of our 2024 outlooks out and we'll have uh you know more commentary uh, a bit later uh, including a webinar uh, on the uh the 29th of November. We'll have our our webinar uh outlook so we hope that you'll join join us for that. Um, And if you have any other questions uh, that you'd like us to answer on our podcast, uh, feel free to hit us up on the Bloomberg Terminal. And with that, until next time, be well.